One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. Just because you're working out doesn't mean you shouldn't look fabulous. The Inspire Collection by Kalia was designed with both style and performance in mind. It looks good, feels good, and stays put no matter how you move. And the collection has everything you need for a day at the gym. A support bra, crop tanks, bike shorts, amazing leggings, and more. It's their most versatile collection yet. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. September 23rd, 1952. Richard Nixon paced in his hotel room. He'd been up for 30 hours straight. The scandal had spiraled out of control and people were dragging his name through the mud. Nixon needed something to turn back the tide. But what? The general election, 1928. Herbert Hoover had a similar dilemma. Sometimes described as rigid and dour, he needed to get the nation on his side. There had to be a shortcut to the campaign trail charm that eluded him. What could help soften those sharp edges? Across the globe, 2016, the president of Finland, Sauli Ninesta, was a careful man. Politically calculating, he made few mistakes. And somehow, he managed to get outshone on the campaign trail by his best friend, no less. Who was it he didn't see coming? One could ask the same thing of French President Emmanuel Macron a year later. Elementally elegant, elevatingly eloquent, and in one notorious moment, extremely embarrassed. What brought him to the brink of surrender? The answer to all of these questions? A dog. Welcome to Dog Tales, a podcast original. Every week, we tell the stories of historic, heroic canines. We'll profile dogs who saved people from earthquakes, went to outer space, and even spurred the invention of Velcro. If you're looking for fun stories and a warm heart, you're barking up the right tree. I'm your host, Alastair. You can find episodes of Dog Tales and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Dog Tales for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Dog Tales in the search bar. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. This week, we're taking a slightly different approach. 
instead of following a single dog story from start to finish, we'll be profiling several canines who had a significant impact on politics. These animals' time in politics was fleeting, as if calculated in dog years. But during their moments in the spotlight, they left enduring legacies. Sometimes, they even changed the course of history. In the late summer of 1952, 39-year-old Richard Milhouse Nixon was a political star on the rise. Presidential nominee General Dwight D. Eisenhower had selected the junior senator from California to be his running mate on the Republican national ticket. Suddenly, the highest office in the land was within reach. But there was trouble brewing that September for Nixon when the press became aware of an $18,000 fund for his personal expenses. Although it was supposedly funded by his supporters, this secret expense account didn't sit well with the public. The Republicans were supposed to be the party of fiscal responsibility, representing the average American. But apparently, Nixon was using their money to fund an extravagant lifestyle. As the negative press mounted, pressure built for the senator to resign from the presidential ticket. With public opinion turning against him, Nixon cut short his whistle-stop campaign tour and flew to his home base in Los Angeles. Cloistered in the Ambassador Hotel in September 1952, he desperately searched for a way to save his political career. But he wouldn't be getting any help from his running mate. Eisenhower had made it clear that Nixon was replaceable. He had to fix this problem, and fast. In order to get ahead of the problem, the Eisenhower-Nixon campaign laid out cash for a primetime spot on TV the next day. Enough for a half hour with the American people. It had to be the speech of Nixon's life. His advisors predicted his address needed a 90% approval rating to put the scandal to rest. As he stayed up into the early hours of the morning, Nixon struggled to find the words he wanted to say. He would start writing, only to crumple the paper and throw it away. Some arguments Nixon planned to make in his speech had already been tested on the campaign trail. For one, he intended to point out his wife's respectable Republican cloth coat as proof of his family's humble, middle-class lifestyle. Such a coat was surely not the attire of an embezzler's wife. But the speech needed something more than campaign trail platitudes. And as the pressure continued to build and the clock ticked towards morning, Nixon had no idea what that something was. Hours before the speech, things went from bad to worse. The towering figure at the top of the ticket had lost his patience with the negative headlines. Through an intermediary, Eisenhower instructed Nixon to submit a resignation for his consideration at the end of the speech. But instead of complying, Nixon curtly instructed Eisenhower to watch that evening's broadcast with the rest of the American public. Despite this bravado, Nixon was panicking. He still had no idea what he was going to say once he got in front of the cameras. Then, on the brink of political oblivion, Nixon 
had an epiphany. He recalled a popular speech from Franklin Delano Roosevelt about his dog, Faller. Frequent listeners may recall this story from our episode on Faller, but here's a quick version of what was running through Nixon's mind that day. Eight years prior, on September 23, 1944, President Roosevelt was at a dinner addressing the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Political enemies had recently perpetuated a rumor that the president had accidentally left behind his beloved Scottish terrier Faller during a military inspection on the Aleutian Islands. Even worse, they claimed Roosevelt sent a Navy destroyer to go back and fetch him at a $20 million taxpayer expense all in the midst of a global war. Now, Roosevelt loved his dog, and Faller loved him right back. But these charges were ludicrous. And in his remarks that night, Roosevelt went on a ferocious tongue-in-cheek attack. He told the audience he realized his family had always been the target of lies from political enemies. But he observed the right to, in his words, object to libelous statements about my dog. He went on to insinuate his critics have maligned the honor of an honest dog to distract from the real issues facing the nation during this time of war. And it worked. The scandal faded away. FDR handily won re-election in 1944. Now Nixon, eight years removed from FDR's remarks, wondered if the same strategy could work for him. As it turned out, he had a faller of his own. A few weeks before Nixon's embezzlement scandal broke, an ardent supporter had sent the senator's family a cocker spaniel puppy named Checkers. Thinking little of it, Nixon happily accepted Checkers into the fold, much to his daughter's delight. Now, holed up at the Ambassador Hotel, Nixon realized that Checkers could be his own version of Faller. That night, September 23, 1952, Nixon took his place in front of the cameras at the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood. On his orders, the venue was dressed to approximate a middle-class living room. Desk, bookcase, his wife Pat sitting in an armchair, the stage was set. And when the recording light came on, Nixon was ready to deliver. The biggest theme of his speech was transparency. In response to the accusation he used a slush fund for personal gain, Nixon presented a detailed account of the modest sum of money he'd made since leaving the Navy. It was outrageous to think he was using taxpayer money to enrich himself. All one had to do was look at his wife's modest cloth coat. But Nixon wasn't content to go on defense. Like FDR did with Faller, he was ready to use checkers to knock out his enemies once and for all. In his words, One other thing I should probably tell you, because if I don't, they will probably be saying this about me too, we did get a gift. You know what it was? It was a little cocker spaniel dog. And our little girl Trisha, the six-year-old, named it Checkers. And I just wanted to say this right now, that regardless of what they say about it, we're going to keep it. The cameramen had tears in their eyes. Mamie Eisenhower, the future first lady, wept. She reportedly told her husband back on the East Coast, anybody who loves a dog can't be dishonest. 
When Nixon next saw him on the campaign trail, General Eisenhower, who demanded his resignation mere hours before the speech, wrapped Nixon up in a hug and called him his boy. There were over four million responses to the speech, almost all of them pro-Nixon. Checkers had grabbed Richard Nixon by the scruff of his neck and pulled him out of the abyss. Nixon was so grateful, he formed an informal club made up of those who'd gone through the ordeal with him. He called it the Order of the Hound's Tooth. But Nixon was notably less magnanimous toward his pal later in his life. He grew resentful of the implication that his career needed rescuing by a dog. He wanted people to call the pivotal address the Fund Speech. But the little Cocker Spaniel had already taken hold of the public imagination. The address went down in history as the Checkers Speech. In 1999, a panel of communication scholars ranked the Checkers speech the sixth most influential speech of the 20th century, right up there with FDR's Pearl Harbor address. In fact, the term Checkers speech practically became shorthand for any emotional appeal in political oratory. Some would even say the little spotted spaniel changed the course of American history. It seems possible. No Checkers? No home run speech, no Nixon as vice president, no Nixon-Kennedy debate, no Watergate. The list goes on and on. Quite an impact for a dog who never even made it to the Oval Office. That's right, Checkers was never actually a presidential dog. He lived with the Nixons through his two terms as vice president, but passed away at age 13 in 1964 five years before Nixon got the big job himself. Nixon would have other dogs in the White House, an Irish setter named King Timahoe, a Yorkie named Pasha, a poodle named Vicky. All were cute, but none had the ability to save their master from political ruin. When Watergate unfurled in the early 1970s, Nixon finally met a scandal even a dog couldn't prevent. He resigned from the presidency in disgrace. But Checker's legacy withstood her master's shame. Even in death, dropping her name was still enough to sway a critical election. In March 2017, the city of Yorba Linda, California, home of the Nixon Presidential Library, planned to open its first ever dog park. The city council let the public vote on a name. The competition was neck and neck. Bark Park ran a good race. But in the end, the people threw their support to a park named after Checkers. The dog was a political powerhouse in this world and beyond. Coming up, one of the most maligned presidents in history attempts to turn his luck around with a dog. And another, and another, and another. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a 
happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Now back to the story. Some politicians like Richard Nixon or Franklin Delano Roosevelt wound up with just the right dog at just the right time. A pooch who rose to meet their moment in history. Others were forever searching. Such was the case of President Herbert Hoover. As president, he found some success in the short term, only to crash into the brick wall of history in the long run. The same can be said for his pets. Herbert Hoover won the Republican nomination for president in 1928. As candidates go, the man had a great resume. Orphaned at an early age, he pulled himself up to become a captain of industry. During World War I, as volunteer director of the Food Administration Board, he was tasked with the production and distribution of food during the Great War. Later, he was Secretary of Commerce for President Harding and was credited for engineering much of the economic success of the Roaring Twenties. But for all his administrative talent, Hoover lacked personality. Even when he tried to convey optimism, Hoover exuded a sense of gloom and despair. But he needed all the personality he could muster to beat gregarious New York governor Al Smith in the presidential election of 1928. He needed a way to bond with the American public. Enter a spirited German shepherd named King Tut. Hoover had adopted Tut while leading humanitarian operations in Europe after World War I. At the time, Tut was only supposed to be a loyal family pet, but he soon became much, much more. Hoover's advisors believe King Tut could help present him to America in a likable, relatable package. A photographer was brought in to take an official picture of Hoover and Tut together. The image the campaign eventually settled on was a grinning Hoover standing with King Tut's paws in his hands. The two looked like they were dancing, or perhaps like Hoover clasping Tut's paws on a campaign rope line asking for his vote. Hoover autographed stacks of photos and sent them off far and wide. And the plan worked. Hoover won the election with King Tut by his side. President Hoover and King Tut surfed into office on a wave of puppy love and economic optimism. With flags waving and drums beating, Hoover confidently proclaimed, We shall soon be in sight of the day when poverty 
will be banished from this nation. But Hoover's optimism quickly faded upon taking over the Oval Office. The strong economy he had helped build under President Harding was little more than an illusion. What's more, life in the White House wasn't easy for King Tut. With so many people coming and going, Tut became very protective of the president. The German shepherd also felt it was his duty to obsessively patrol the perimeter of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Eventually, the anxiety of guarding the most important man in the country proved too much for King Tut. The nerves got to him, and he stopped eating. To save his beloved dog's life, Hoover gave Tut to Senator Frederick Colin Walcott, a friend who lived in Hoover's quiet, pre-presidential Washington home. More comfortable out of the public eye, King Tut proved to be a loyal and loving companion for Walcott. The dog passed away, ever vigilant, at the age of 10 in October 1929. The very same October, the economy cratered. There was a Black Monday on October 19th, Black Thursday on October 29th, and it was pretty much pitch black from there on out. With America firmly in the jaws of the Great Depression, Hoover had to regain the public's trust. But without King Tut by his side, that would be a tall task. However, that didn't mean Hoover wasn't going to try. Perhaps in a bid to recapture that Tut magic, the White House became a bona fide dog merry-go-round, and it kept spinning faster and faster. The owner of the Bellhaven Kennels of Red Bank, New Jersey, gave the president and his family an eight-month-old collie they named Glenn. Unfortunately, Glenn's energy was overwhelming. He couldn't make nice with others in the West Wing, so the Hoovers had to bid him goodbye. Next up was a Gordon setter named Gillette. Presented to Hoover by an army colonel, this prize winner from the Madison Square Garden dog show had it all. Except a volume button. Hoover was unable to concentrate on the growing financial crisis over the din of Gillette's barking. The briefly presidential pup was handed to a nearby zoo where he could annoy the other animals to his heart's content. Another well-wisher gave Hoover a Belgian shepherd named Buckeye. However, due to a clerical error, Buckeye's sister, Mahana, was sent along with him. Like King Tut, these dogs were high-strung and hard to keep track of. One day, Mahana ran away and was never heard from again. Buckeye was briefly mentioned in White House correspondence, then disappeared forever, never to be spoken of again. Not long after that, a former classmate of First Lady Lou Hoover had the perfect companion for the presidential family, a wire-haired wolfhound named Patrick. He was noble, he was smart, he was handsome, and, unfortunately, very sick. Shortly after entering the Hoovers' lives, Patrick passed away from an infection. Looking to downsize, the Hoovers took in a schnauzer named Whoopi. The dog was ill-behaved and wasn't capable of the decorum required of a dog living in the West Wing. Whoopi was quickly voted out. 
Soon after, First Lady Lou Hoover's former classmate took another go. Meet Patrick II. Meant to replace Patrick I, this was another wire-haired wolfhound. Unfortunately, the dog was sensitive and shy. The last thing President Hoover needed in his orbit was a moody dog, so he traded Patrick II in for a replacement. In exchange for Patrick II, Mrs. Hoover's school friends sent them another wolfhound named Shamrock. The new dog was Patrick II's polar opposite, in the worst ways possible. He was yappy and aggressive, and when he bit a marine guard, Shamrock's luck ran out. Merry Christmas! After Patrick II left, the Hoovers were given the holiday gift of a fox terrier named Big Boy. And, it being the season of giving, the Hoovers gave Big Boy to a White House secretary. New Year, new dog! All hail Yukon! The good people of Fairbanks, Alaska sent the Hoovers a majestic Siberian husky. But Yukon took to the weather in DC like a polar bear to Orlando. He was shipped off to Canada in the summer, then given away to an unidentified family friend. And then it happened. February 1931, more than a year after Tut's passing, the Hoovers received a gift from the American Elkhound Association. Initially named Norway, Hoover's granddaughter renamed the Norwegian Elkhound Ouija. He was adorable a fitting heir to the king. Hoover finally had a dog who could live up to King Tut's legacy. With Hoover's approval rating in the basement, he invited a movie tone news crew to film an average day with him and Ouija. The cameras set up in the White House Rose Garden to film the two friends at play. Wanting to reward his pal for a job well done, Hoover fed Ouija a raw T-bone steak. They played the footage on loop in movie theaters across the country for thousands of hungry people. One can imagine buckets of popcorn being thrown at the door president and his steak-eating dog, if anybody had popcorn to waste. Lightning had not struck twice. In the future, there would be other dogs, cats, a canary, even a possum named Billy who lived in a pen on the White House grounds. But none helped Hoover regain his swagger. And he never had another friend quite like King Tut. Up next, an already popular president nearly has his reputation sullied by his dog. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Velour XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Now, back to the story. If you own a dog, chances are your little buddy has embarrassed you from time to time. Rubbing up against something or someone you prefer they left alone. A toxic release of gas your party guests inevitably blamed on you. But if you're the leader of one of the world's most powerful nations, these moments tend to get magnified. In the worst of circumstances, they live forever. In August of 2017, French President Emmanuel Macron added a black Labrador retriever Brussels Griffin mix named Nemo to his inner circle. Named after the lead character in his favorite book, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Nemo was the most recent entry in the tradition of French first pets. However, this tradition was anything but proud. As far as misbehaving animals go, the presidential Elysee Palace has had bad luck for over a century. In 1917, an orangutan escaped from a nearby circus, scaled the wall of the palace, and dropped into its inviting garden, where the first lady to President Poincaré dozed in a nearby hammock. In a move that would have made King Kong proud, the ape grabbed the first lady by the waist and attempted to carry her up a tree. And while the perpetrator of this animal escapade wasn't a dog, the event was a harbinger for unruly animals to come. In 2000, Prime Minister Jacques Chirac had a serious case of doggy blues. His miniature Maltese, Sumo, became so depressed he started attacking his master. He bit Chirac on the leg, then the stomach. Ultimately, the little guy was put on antidepressants. More recently, French President Nicolas Sarkozy had three dogs, a chihuahua named Tumi and two Labradors named Claire and Dumbledore. They chewed up furniture, carpets, even damaged Napoleon's favorite chair. By the end of Sarkozy's term, the dogs had racked up thousands of euros in damage and made the general administrator of national furniture very angry. And you wouldn't like the general administrator of furniture when he's angry. Because of these badly behaved dogs, the bar was set fairly low for Nemo, the first ever French first dog rescued from a shelter. But Nemo more than cleared it. His first day on the job, August 17, 2017, Nemo stood at attention alongside his master to welcome the president of Chad, he followed up on the good impression by successfully greeting the president of Niger. Nemo had that certain je ne sais quoi, an asset to the presidency, a lock to earn the presidential medal of good boy. That was until the sordid events of Sunday, October 22nd, 2017. That day, three junior ministers and President Macron were in the midst of a serious policy discussion. 
Macron's office, like all French presidents, is located inside Elysee Palace. It's a historical place that evokes royalty and reverence. Unless you're Nemo, in whom it evoked the desire to empty his bladder straight into the fireplace. They heard the noise first over their hushed conversation, then slowly turned around and stared for what seemed like an eternity as the dog did his business. Surely the fireplace was historic. The Elysee was completed in 1722. That was embarrassing. But even worse, cameras were recording every last drop of his debacle. A TF1 news crew had been invited to the palace to document the meeting. Nemo had gone from famous to infamous with the lifting of a leg. Luckily, Macron didn't suffer the same humiliating blowback Herbert Hoover did when cameras captured him hand-feeding steak to Ouija, possibly because Macron wasn't being blamed for the Great Depression. And following the fireplace incident, Nemo continued to serve at the pleasure of the president. While Nixon and Hoover tried to use their dog's popularity to boost their own, and Macron's dog nearly flushed his master's approval rating down the toilet, this final world leader's pet could possibly have beaten him at the polls. Elected in 2012, President of Finland Sauli Niinistö adopted a black-and-white Boston Terrier named Lenu during his first term. The dog was a lovable, squat barrel of wrinkles. What was most noteworthy was Lenu's ear-to-ear -ear grin. However, behind that lovable smile was a whole lot of mischief. Traditionally, the Finnish president and his spouse are presented with Christmas gifts and greetings from the nation. In 2016, they were gifted with a ham and large pike fish from local fishermen. When the food was laid on a table for presentation, Lenu went crazy. Unlike other first dogs, Lenu had no formal media training. So when it came to ham, crazy was all Lenu knew. President Nienister attempted to scold the dog for attacking the ham and fish, but the incident was a hit with the Finnish people presumably because Nienister also wasn't being blamed for the Great Depression. To Nienister's surprise, Lenu's fame transcended Finland's borders in late February 2017 when Daily Beast reporter Kelly Weil posted a picture of the dog on Twitter. 100,000 likes and 38,000 shares later, Lenu was on his way to global stardom. Soon, Outlets like Jezebel and Mashable were writing about the smiling terrier. Eventually, Lenu smiled his way into becoming a full-on meme. One popular image featured Lenu's photoshopped head onto President Nienister's shoulders, making it look like Lenu was lovingly cradling himself in his arms. Typically, President Nienister's tweets were getting only a few dozen retweets a month. But a portrait of a smiling Lenu was retweeted more than 50,000 times and liked more than 150,000. Considering Lenu's growing fame, it was surprising that Nienister hit the campaign trail in 2018 without him. Lenu's handlers claimed the seven-year-old dog was taking a break for his health. 
but people wondered whether the dog had been benched for upstaging his master. Even the New York Times took notice of the grinning dog's absence. Their headline, Finland's scene-stealing dog is missed during dull election. Although Nienesto won re-election, perhaps it would have been best to heed this old adage. When your dog smiles, the world smiles with you. Freeze him out, and you're all alone. In any event, the Lenu affair wasn't even the biggest pet controversy in Finnish political history. Nienesta's predecessor, President Halonen, had a cat gifted to her by then-Russian President Dmitry Medvedev. It was highly suspected the cat was bugged, but that's a different story, for a different podcast, for a different time. They say there's no third act in politics. For these dogs, there wasn't even a second. But that's life in the public eye. You take your moment when it comes. Sometimes it's saving your master's bacon, Sometimes it's peeing in an 18th century fireplace. And sometimes it's just something that makes you smile. Thanks for listening to Dog Tales. For more information about the Checker speech, we found the piece The Checker Speech After 60 Years by Lee Heidner in The Atlantic especially helpful to our research. Every dog has his day. And our day is Mondays. We'll be back then with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Dog Tales and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals like Dog Tales for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Dog Tales on Spotify, just open the app and type Dog Tales in the search bar. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. Join us next week for another good story about a good dog. Dog Tales was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Trent Williamson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Erin Larson. This episode of Dog Tales was written by Matt Flanagan, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire. I'm Alastair Murden. <laughs> <laughs>